When you look at reports of English phantoms, tales of Civil War ghosts are some of the most common. Haunting battlefields, pubs, castles and former military sites all prove popular locations. But why is that? Let's find out in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We are continuing our Types of Ghosts month, as this has inadvertently turned into over here on the podcast, because why not? So last week we met Green Lady Ghosts, and I must admit, I did have quite a few ideas about ways that I could incorporate Green Ladies into various novels that I've got on the go. So who knows, maybe we'll see a couple of them in fiction sometime soon. This week, however, we are going to look at the phenomenon of the English Civil War ghost, because why not? And also, there's so many of them. And incidentally, they're actually literally in the British records, and I'll get to that in a minute, but they're kind of officially on records. I thought, ooh, that'll be interesting. And also, just it's a fascinating period in history, and I just thought it might be quite an interesting thing to have a look at. So that's what we're going to be looking at this week. Then next week we're going to have a look at spectral monks and nuns. So I've expanded it out a little bit because I suddenly realised quite how many stories you get of spectral monks also have nuns in them as well. Seems like there was an awful lot of shenanigans going on in those days. Obviously I'll have to call it shenanigans as we do have younger listeners listening to this. So if there is anybody who's a little bit younger listening, hello there, particularly Monty. I'm glad to hear that you're listening. But without any further ado, let's get on with this week's episode. So, as I said at the very beginning, when you do look at reports of English phantoms, and there are a lot of them, tales of Civil War ghosts are probably some of the most common and also official, which we'll get to soon. So you do find a lot of the locations are things like battlefields, pubs, castles, and quite clearly former military sites. And we've actually got a spinning cavalier in Newcastle and this ghost rises to the ceiling inside Sallyport Tower but he revolves as he goes. So some people think that he's actually just climbing an old spiral staircase that no longer exists and then other people say that he gazes out of the window at sunset. I've never seen him but then again I haven't actually gone looking, maybe I should. But to be fair, all of these ghosts are really unsurprising because three separate civil wars actually make up the English Civil War and they run from 1642 to 46, then 1648 to 49 and then 1649 to 51. And historical records count 84,830 war dead but estimates usually place the figure much much higher and that makes a lot of death in a relatively short period. So on one side, in case you're not really familiar with the English Civil War, you have the Cavaliers, also known as Royalists, and they were supporting the King, which was King Charles I. And then on the other side were the Parliamentarians, led by Oliver Cromwell. And he was the guy who quite famously cancelled Christmas. Legitimately happened. That's not why there was a civil war, but that it, well, while he was in charge of England as a republic, that is what he did. Now, even though the Civil War led to the trial of King Charles I as a traitor, the Royalist forces did continue to fight after his execution and then eventually managed to effect the restoration when they brought Charles II back to the throne in 1660. 
But we're going to go all the way back to 1642 for our first ghost story, and this is the ghostly reenactment of Edge Hill. And the Battle of Edge Hill actually took place on 23rd of October in 1642, and it was really the English Civil War's first major battle, and it actually involved almost 30,000 soldiers. It was really hard fought, but it was actually quite inconclusive, and a lot of historians actually describe it as being a draw, and nobody really won because both sides essentially withdrew. Yet it's important for us here because of its subsequent haunting. And this is the only one that is recognised by the British Public Record Office because Royalist officers actually recorded the ghost sighting after the battle. So basically, the, the battle happens on the 23rd of October. But then by Christmas of that year, shepherds reported hearing drums and groaning soldiers in the early hours of the morning. The noises approached them and that caused the shepherds to understandably run away. This didn't help, unfortunately, because a vision of spectral armies filled the sky. And at this point, they were so terrified that they actually stayed put for three hours because they were frightened that the dead soldiers might chase them. So they're basically just standing watching all this, not knowing what's going on. So I really do think we have to commend them for that. But eventually, the phantom armies vanished and then the shepherds ran off and they managed to fetch a minister and a justice of the peace to report what had happened and what they'd seen. And then these rumours eventually reached Charles I, who commissioned the report to investigate them. He then sent six of his people to go and investigate. And more sightings of the spectral battle followed and Charles's officers actually found that they could even identify fallen comrades among the ghostly soldiers. The officers actually consider the sightings to be a bad omen as a sign of God's displeasure for the outbreak of a civil war. Now, the villagers in nearby Kinnerton actually hoped to stop the dreadful apparitions because obviously they had to live with them and they decided to give all the battlefield corpses a Christian burial. And some three months after the battle, the visions did seem to stop. That said, even modern people have heard strange sounds of cannons, thundering hooves and battle cries in the dead of night, especially around the anniversary and according to Jacqueline Simpson and Jennifer Westwood, people have seen a phantom white horse near where some of the soldiers were buried. If you're one of those people who has indeed had a weird experience over by Edge Hill, please do let me know because I would like to hear about it because it's not something that I've ever experienced. So it would be quite cool to see how it still manifests now in the 21st century. Obviously, as you might imagine, Edge Hill is far from being the only haunted battlefield related to the English Civil War because Marston Moor boasts ghosts before and after the battle. So on the night before the battle, people actually reported seeing a ghostly army marching over Helvellyn in Cumbria. So I do quite like the fact that they get a premonition and then everybody else gets the ghosts. But anyway, so on 2nd of July 1644, the parliamentarians, who were led by Lord Fairfax and the Earl of Manchester, clashed with the Royalists, led by Prince Rupert on Marston Moor. Now, the Royalists originally intended to liberate the Marquis of Newcastle, who was being held under siege by the parliamentarians in York, and they did achieve their aim, but then, for some reason that we'll never really understand, Prince Rupert tried to engage the parliamentarians the following day and the timing could not have been worse. So there was an evening thunderstorm which provided the backdrop to the Royalist defeat and reports actually estimate that 4,000 Royalists died while only 300 Parliamentarians lost their lives. And many people do consider Marston Moor to be one of the most violent battles to occur on English soil. The survivors then buried the dead in mass graves and of course such an internment where you don't have the appropriate burial rituals, it's on unconsecrated ground, basically everything is not being done properly as it were, really worried the locals because according to the religious thought of the day, only those who were buried in consecrated ground 
with the appropriate ceremony, would be able to enter heaven. The conditions then condemned the master Moe war dead to walk the earth for eternity. And this is what brings us to the tales of civil war ghosts on Marston Moor. William Camage, who was a late 19th century historian in York, discussed tales of bloodstained soldiers rampaging around the Marston Moor area. Another tale involved a headless officer astride a phantom horse, and his search for the battle always ended in disappointment. Now, the problem with a lot of these tales is they actually come from local folklore, and there are very few first-hand accounts that detail any actual sightings by actual witnesses. Now, Kai Roberts actually relates the work of Sir Ernest Bennett, who actually preserved a witness report. And in 1932, two friends were driving across the moor one evening, and they noticed three men walking along the road, clad in dark cloaks and leggings, wearing large hats. And such a description matches the cavalier uniform during the Civil War. And they vanished by the time the car came to pass them, and the two men left the car to look for the strangers, obviously seeing if they needed any help or anything, but could find no sign of them. Now, you do need to bear in mind that the moor is mostly flat, so it offers few hiding places, should anyone want to get out of the way of a car that was coming. So, no one knows where they went, they just vanished from sight. And then, in 1968, a group of tourists were driving around the area looking for the Weatherby Road. They happened to notice a group of men walking in a ditch, and the tourists recognised their garb as being that of the 17th century, but they just simply assumed that they were actors. Locals later put them right, telling them about the battle, so I can only imagine how they must have felt to realise the truth that they'd actually possibly seen some of the participants of the battle. But this is what seems to come up time and again with Master Moore. People just run into figures who look like they'd been at the battle and then only realise later on that something's not quite right about it. Now we are going to switch gears a little bit and go from haunted battlefields to haunted pubs because it is quite difficult to find a pub in England that doesn't seem to have a resident ghost of some description. York is knee-deep in pub spirits, quite literally, and the Old George Inn in Newcastle was apparently a favourite destination of King Charles I. And when you're actually allowed in because of like the pandemic and what have you, there is actually a seat that still bears his name beside a fireplace and there's a painting of Charles I over the fireplace. So that was apparently his favourite seat. But the Ring of Bells in Middleton, Greater Manchester, tells more stories than most, and many people believe that the foundations of the pub actually date back to Saxon times, while other legends tell of a Druid temple on the site. How you would know that there was a Druid temple when they didn't keep written records, I'm not sure, but there we go, that's what the legends say. And during the Middle Ages, monks used it as a refectory, so this is a site that has had a lot of human activity over the years, including civil war ghosts because landlords over the years have reported seeing an unhappy cavalier both inside and outside the pub, and he's been nicknamed Edward, and he often manifests through the sounds of footsteps on the stairs, or there are other unexplained noises around the pub as well, and customers have actually reported feeling a heavy hand land on their shoulder, but then when they turn round, no one is there. Now, much of the activity does appear to focus on the snug above the cellar, and according to local legend, the Cavaliers actually plotted against the parliamentarians in this very room, and one seat in the room was even called the Cavalier seat, and paranormal investigators had found the area to be colder than the rest of the room. Now, not all of Edward's appearances are benign. In 1972, an unseen presence actually threw a stone at the landlord in the cellar, and he'd also seen a glass move by itself in the bar. So these kind of things do imply that the spirit whoever it is, is obviously annoyed about something. Now, local tales do speculate Edward was the son of the Lord of Stannycliffe, who was betrayed by a spy and he found himself trapped in the pub. 
parliamentarians cut them into pieces in the cellar and then dumped them under the floor. And while helmets and pikes were found under the cellar stones, no humans have as yet been found. Now, I couldn't do a podcast episode about Civil War ghosts without talking about Charles I himself. And he has got quite a lot of links with my home city, Newcastle-upon-Tyne. So I thought, considering there are quite a lot of legends about him and he is even supposedly sighted up here, then I thought I would actually include him. Now, parliamentarian forces eventually defeated King Charles I at Newark in 1646 and he was then taken to Newcastle where he spent 10 months held captive in the Grand House Anderson Place. Now, Anderson Place doesn't exist anymore, so if you're familiar with Newcastle and you're going, where was that? If you think about where the branch of Lloyd's Bank is, at the top of Grey Street next to the monument, that's where Anderson Place used to be. So that whole entire area around the monument to Earl Grey used to be Anderson Place and its grounds. Now, while Charles I was there, his captors actually allowed him to play golf in nearby Shieldfield, which, if you'd been to Shieldfield now, you'd be quite surprised to ever imagine it being like a golf course. But according to legend, Charles I actually escaped from Anderson Place in a boat. Much like the many rivers of London, the streams of Newcastle are now underground, but at the time, boats could actually sail up the Law Burn as high as Law Bridge. Now, obviously, Charles decided he was going to have a go at this. His escape attempt did fail, and his captors actually recovered him down at Sandhill, which is down next to the quayside, and he allegedly still haunts the quayside looking for his rescue ship. Trinity House, which is also on the quayside, also boasts sightings of the spectral monarch, and this particular tale claims that he actually hid in a cellar below the chapel, and much of the income to pay for the war came from taxing coal leaving Newcastle, so the story alleges that he watched for ships to count his share while he waited. And on certain nights, his ghost is said to walk the corridors of Trinity House. And one man actually kept a vigil all night after a spate of robberies. And while no live intruders bothered him, the doors kept opening and shutting on their own. So you do have to wonder, was it Charles I? We'll never know. Personally, I've never seen Charles I while I've been walking around Newcastle. But again, I have been looking. So maybe he prefers the more foggy weather conditions that we've been having recently. Now, this podcast episode has really just scratched the surface of all the ghost stories connected with the Civil War. Other battlefields have sightings of hauntings and apparitions and so on, particularly Naseby. And again, pubs up and down the country have tales of cavaliers and so on. It generally seems to be cavaliers that appear in the stories, I must admit, rather than the parliamentarians. And I don't know if that's just because people kind of see the cavaliers as a little bit more fun. I don't know. But either way, I think we can explain why there's so many tales of hauntings purely because of the fact that a violent period like the English Civil War is bound to leave some kind of mark. Whether you believe in any of the different versions of the afterlife or the idea that the atmosphere can kind of maintain an emotional charge that's left on it, whatever the different explanations for hauntings that there are, something's going to happen, even just in the national psyche at the time, about the fact there's been this really, really serious series of violent events. Now, many of the tales do actually appear again and again in different locations. And to be fair, it does also help that the uniforms are so recognisable, which does make it a lot easier for witnesses to date the ghosts in the correct period. So, you know, you kind of can't miss a cavalier. And even the, the parliamentarians, to be fair, otherwise known as the roundheads, you can spot them quite easily. So they're easy to look at them and go, aha, they must be from so and such. So perhaps that's why we have more stories, purely because people can actually recognise them more. Who knows? Now, I do have to wonder what will happen while knowledge of the Civil War fades. Will the ghosts fade with it? Maybe not. I don't know. 
It's it's an interesting thing to think about, though. I should also put in a tiny, cheeky little plug, because I am a little bit biased, because a rather dashing cavalier ghost is one of the two protagonists in my supernatural mystery adventure novel, The Stolen Ghosts. And it is five-star rated on Amazon, so I am going to put a link to it below to see if you're interested. It is also YA-friendly as well, in case you're looking for Christmas presents and so on this year. So either way, whether you decide to have a look at Stolen Ghosts or not, I hope that you enjoyed that particular episode. It is a fascinating subject, and I think if you don't know a lot about the English Civil War anyway, it's definitely something worth reading upon. There's a very, very good book by Diane Perkis, which kind of explains everything that you need to know, and it is a really good way of getting a grip on kind of how England kind of evolved the way that it did, and also how it then set the stage for the Restoration as well. So that is the end of this week's episode. As I say, we are going to wrap up our Types of Ghosts series next week with spectral monks and nuns and things like that, which also largely date to a fairly turbulent time in English history, so I'm starting to sense a bit of a theme. But anyway, I'll let you go and crack on with whatever you were doing before you started listening to this, and I will see you next week. Cheerio! Well, thank you for listening and thanks for visiting Fabulous Folklore. I hope you enjoyed your stay. If you did, why not consider subscribing in your podcast app of choice? If you enjoy the show, why not leave me a review and help other listeners to find it as well? And if you'd like bonus exclusive episodes of the podcast, then why not support me on Patreon? It does help me to keep the show going and it means that you get a little bit extra every month as well. And you can find all of the necessary links in the show notes below. So without any further ado, I will bid you adieu and I hope that you have a safe travels wherever you're going on to next.